Have you ever had one of those moments where time stands still, where all remnants of time and space disappear and you dissolve into the fabric of eternity? I've had many of those experiences. One of the most recent was when I was reading the story of Gaia. My friend, Jude Curvin, asked if I would read the manuscript and write an endorsement. I began reading with a preconceived idea. I knew it was a science-packed book where Jude details the 13.8 billion year story of Gaia. But what I didn't know was that the story would come alive inside of me. With every turning page, an intimacy developed. I was having my own experience, my own personal relationship with everything from single-celled organisms to complex networks, and even the stars. Before I arrived at the place where the human species was introduced, I had a mystical experience. It was as if the entire universe opened inside of me. I was not a spiritual being having a physical experience. I was Gaia herself. I experienced the 13.8 billion years as my own evolution with meaning and purpose. Gaia was me and I was Gaia. There was no separation, just an experience of pure aliveness. I understood more, even the role of bacteria in creating the beauty around me. I can't promise you'll have a mystical experience reading the book, but I can tell you that the story of Gaia is having a profound impact on others. Our Conscious Planet series will bring you a fascinating tapestry of some of their voices. So enjoy. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here right now. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. We live on a conscious planet, in a conscious universe. Pause and really hear that, really take that in. We are living in a conscious universe. Today, we're going to explore our own emergence as self-aware members of our planetary home and an entire universe that is unified and innately sentient. My guest, Dr. Jude Curavan, has detailed the 13.8 billion year story of Gaia, where everything in existence has inherent meaning and evolutionary purpose. The insights gleaned in this science-packed manuscript take us on a journey from simplicity to ever greater complexity, diversity, and self-awareness. From protons to planets, plants, and people, prepare yourself for a beautiful, profoundly resonant, and deeply moving story of Gaia. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths with us. Bring your awareness to your heart, relax, and open your mind, settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. 
Dr. Jude Kuravan is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, and author of best-selling and award-winning book, The Cosmic Hologram. And she just published The Story of Gaia. Previously a senior international businesswoman, she's a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle and co-founder of Whole World View. She holds a PhD in archaeology and a master's degree from Oxford University, specializing in cosmology and quantum physics, and integrates leading-edge science and universal wisdom teachings, aiming to serve conscious evolution. Welcome, Jude. I am so excited for this conversation today. Julie, thank you. I, whenever we get in a room together, even if it's only a Zoom room, the level of excitement sort of <laughs> goes exponential. <laughs> and we come together at such an incredible moment, don't we? And I'm so yeah. excited yeah. to share and explore what we're going to be sharing and exploring, not just today, but over the next few weeks with, with our, our guests as well. Yeah. We are going to have an amazing conversation today, and I'll mention later um, in the series, we're, we are going to invite a lot of guests to join us because this is a really important moment and an important book. So I'm like, I'm like ready. Here we go. On the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected, we've had a traditional first question for nine years, Jude, grounding the conversation within a unitive whole worldview. But during this 10th year, I want to get more personal and intimate right up front and move us from the head to the heart. So Jude, you've released your new book, The Story of Gaia, The Big Breath, An Evolutionary Journey of Our Conscious Planet. The thing that makes this book extraordinary is how you weave science and 13.8 billion years of life with very personal, endearing stories of you experientially connected to Gaia and as Gaia. These personal stories really help us as the readers to feel that all things are connected. So in the spirit of all things connected, can you share with our listeners how your deep personal connection with Gaia and all life brought voice to this book and Earth herself. Thank you, Julie. Well, I sometimes now say that I feel I didn't write the book. I truly feel that the book wrote me. I almost felt as I was being on an interview. Guy was interviewing me <laughs> through this book in the most loving, wondrous, inspiring way. And so... My journey, and we've been friends for a long time, and you know that, you know, I started my journey of curiosity about the nature of reality when I was very young. But in those early years, I didn't feel really related to Gaia. I felt I was related to the whole cosmos and would have quite easily and happily left our planetary home until I was really into my middle age. And then I found myself being called to live in a place called Avery, which is an ancient sacred landscape in England. And I began there almost to be, well, almost, I was invited to enter a much deeper relationship 
with Gaia as a living being. And I was hearing ancestral voices. I was I was trodding the paths that my ancestors had trod. And I found over time that I was I was really entering a deeply experiential relationship with Gaia over the last, I would say, 30 years now. And at each step of the way, it really has been a journey. You know, it's like any relationship. It doesn't su- suddenly happen. It, it deepens and it grows. And when it became the time to write this book as a second book of a, a transformational trilogy, of which The Cosmic Hologram was the first, I'd always understood when I was guided that I would write such a trilogy, that the first book would be about understanding and the cosmic hologram is about that. It's it's helping us, I hope, understand, as you said so beautifully earlier, our universe that exists meaningfully as a unified entity. But the second book, the story of Gaia, was about experiencing how that is embodied in our lives. And so for me, without those experiences that I share that brought me ever deeper, whether it was learning to scuba dive and and, and absolutely panicking like crazy and then looking down and seeing this miracle of of the ocean and full of life beneath me, or whether it was actually having the experience of a solar eclipse on the top of a mountain in China, or whether it was sitting in a wildflower garden and just, you know, seeing the beauty and the life around me, whatever it may be, it was all those experiences and many, many others that literally imbued and embodied within me this reverence for our planetary home and more and more and progressively as a sentient being within a sentient universe, an evolving planetary home within an evolving universe. So for me, and I think for all of us, it's how we experience our relationship with Guy that counts. It's not about how we understand it, it's how we experience it because when we mm. experience, as our mutual dear friend Michael Linfield says, that we are Gaians more than being humans, we enter a, a deeply profound and purposeful and loving, enormously loving and heart-centered relationship with our planetary home. And that's, I feel, why I was able to be in service both for writing the story of Gaia, but also being written by the story of Gaia. That's beautiful, Jude. And I want to pause in. We're going to bring in Michael Linfield later. I just want to pause for that important piece you just mentioned that's really, um, I think, critical for all of us in these transformational times is that it's more important how we experience than how we understand. Because Quite literally, there might be those out there listening to us today going, the world is crazy and da 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 da, you know, and and it's really important that we can create these experiences of that relationship with Gaia and these experiences that we can literally invite others into that unitive experience that sometimes isn't easy to even find in the world of change right now it's it's really kind of a a a difficult time for so many on the planet so i just want to thank you for for presencing that 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 experience is more important than the understanding the understanding will come i know that in your book 
I think that that's a, a brilliant way even for someone to pick up this book and begin reading it is that they're going to have an experience. And then by the end, they're going to go, aha, I think they'll have a better understanding. So that is a perfect roadmap for us in reading this book. So you mentioned part one. This is part one of an eight-part series that we're going to do on the story of Gaia. And in the coming sessions, you're going to co-host with me as we bring on guests who've been touched by this book. So for today, I get to interview you, and I want to start by expanding on your experience. So you mentioned the writing of this book and how it wrote you. And I'm just wondering, before we get to my surprise questions coming up here, I want to give you a moment to perhaps muse into what you might have learned writing this book. You've known the science, you've worked with the science for for decades, you've also had these beautiful experiences that you share in the book. But as this book came through, I'm wondering what you might have learned. That's a great question. And I actually did learn something that I feel is, is fundamental that I hadn't really appreciated beforehand. And I realized and I knew that our universe does exist and evolve as a unified entity. I know that the fundamental stuff of the appearance of our universe is consciousness, cosmic consciousness, expressed as meaningful information and holographically manifested. That had all been shared in the cosmic hologram and the story of Gaia was really continuing from that understanding into this experiential um, perception. What I came to realize is our universe doesn't just exist and evolve as a unified entity. It actually embodies an evolutionary impulse to evolve from simplicity to complexity and ever greater levels of individuated self-awareness um, conscious interdependence into being but it was the evidence for that because I've, I've been asked how do you know the universe purposefully evolves and what I was finding at every step of the way the universe was essentially prescient it planned ahead so think of a universe planning ahead I'll explain a couple of examples right from the very beginning 13.8 billion years ago our universe, when the first energy matter sort of condensed out of the uh, out into into space, it wasn't just the simplest of elements, hydrogen, but about a quarter of the overall energy matter was the next complex, heavier element, helium. And I'm somebody who always goes on the principle, as 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 Einstein did, that the universe is as simple as it can be, but no simpler. And so I thought, oh, hang on, why is there so much helium? Surely hydrogen would work. And then, you know, you get 200 million years or thereabouts before the first stars are formed. And they burn hydrogen as their basic fuel to then energize their alchemy into ever heavier, ever heavier elements. But there's one point very early on in that process which is the combination of three atoms or three um, nuclei of helium to form carbon, 
And of course, we're carbon beings all these billions of years later. The trick, though, is it's a really difficult reaction to bring about. It's not very efficient. And if the only helium would be helium that was already created in stars, it wouldn't beat that threshold to make more complexity in carbon. But that primordial helium created 200 millions before it was ever needed and pretty inert, so it just hung around in space where everything was getting ready for the next chapter, was absolutely crucial. It gave this sort of added amount of helium in the mix to enable that next step for stars to form carbon and then on to your oxygen and nitrogen and on and on and on. We would not be here if it wasn't that 13.8 billion years ago, the very first energy matter was so resonantly fine-tuned to give that proportion of helium. And that's just one <laughs> example. <laughs> That's amazing. That's an and that's a, a really crucial example too. But it is it is mind blowing to imagine that, and to understanding that impulse of evolution that's that's a part of all of this. Yeah. So, I'm just going to share a brief story, and I, I I would love for you to talk about the chapter titles and how this book is organized before I go into this the other questions because they're so they're so intimate and yummy. Like, it's not like, okay, then there was simple cell, and then there was bacteria. And then there was, it's like, I love the chapter titles. I read this book, Jude, and began it with the history and, and was thinking, okay, this is going to be this important book that we all need to understand the impulse of evolution. But I never imagined I would have this personal revelatory experience myself. I had a mystical experience reading your book and your words. Thank you. It was as if the the whole entire cosmos was within me and I felt myself in that 13.8 billion years evolving with that impulse. It was an exquisite example of this co-evolutionary partnership that we have, but this this the mystery and the magnificence of who we are as this unitive one consciousness coming into existence, right? So just presence before I get into these other questions, a little bit about these chapter titles, because I think it helps us move through the book with more of that personal integrity and, and relationship that you talked about. Thank you, Julie. And it felt like that. You know, I was I was privileged to literally write the story of, of Gaia as a, a, as a, a planetary member of an entire universe. So it, it really is, you know, I, I speak at the front of our stories don't begin with us. They begin with as far back as our memories hold. And with us, you know, it's our parents and grandparents and maybe further back and our ancestors. So what I felt was to go right back because the, the, the whole ancestral journey of Gaia begins that 13.8 billion years ago with the origin of our entire universe. And, and as I say, not as a, a, a big bang, <laughs> it wasn't big, and it wasn't the sort of implied chaos of a bang. It was incredibly fine-tuned and beautifully ordered. First moment of an ongoing big breath. 
Uh, and again, that speaks back to ancient traditions of the universe being the breath of Brahman and, and, and many other perceptions. So I began with origin, you know, what was the origin of our universe? And then I go through ancestors and then I go through planetary family and, you know, siblings and all the rest of that. And it's our solar family is just that, an incredibly resonant whole matrix of consciousness. And then I go into parents because our sun, sol, our moon, lunar, Gaia are a trinity. And then I go into Gaia as a planetary mother giving birth and, and also the sense of her entire sentience as a Gaia sphere, you know, with her waters, her hydrosphere, her atmosphere, her, her geology, her minerals and rocks, her, her, her geosphere, and then her biosphere, her biological children. But eat all part of an innate, integrative, unitive sentience. And then I go forward and I talk about revolution because so much of the way that she has nurtured simplicity to complexity had been in waves of evolution that have involved, you know, that have involved sort of great arcs and then falls and then revive, you know, more arcs, ever more journeying to complexity. So the, so the name of the chapters sort of reflect that. And then when homonyms came into our biological expression, you know, our world was a midlife. By then, Guy was in midlife, and it was a midlife Eden of amazing abundance. So this has been the, the story all the way through. It's magnificent. Thank you. So I'm going to surprise you with my questions. <laughs> I want the listeners to get a holistic perspective of this book and not just my own personal experience. So what better way to do that than to bring the voices of others who've read your book? So some powerful themes really emerged through your reader's experience, and I'm going to take a sentence or phrase from several of them and ask you to expand on them. So we're going to start with Greg Braden. And he says... I'm going to hold my book and read here, so just bear with me if I'm um, first. The first two are in a dark font, so I'm going, to, I'm going to try this. But we're going to start with Greg Braden. He says, an extraordinary journey that gives our mind the reason to accept what our heart already knows, that we're born into a universe that supports us and that our evolutionary journey is an integral part of a larger evolutionary process. Talk about that integral part of our evolutionary process as co-evolutionary partners. Absolutely. And I'm so, so grateful for Greg and all the other folks who've so generously, including yourself, you know, supported and, and endorsed the book. Um, but just to speak to what Greg felt, you know, our universe, by existing and purpose, meaningfully existing and purposefully evolving as a non-locally unified entity means that we are its microcosmic co-creators. So we're part, we cannot be, we're inseparable from our universe. And rather like, you know, we have, we are, our bodies, our communities of something like 37 trillion cells each, we are cells in the body of our universe. 
so our minds are sort of, you know, our, our, our ego-based minds, bless them, they do a great job. But their job, in a sense, is to individuate us. Our hearts are where we remember we're inseparable. So what Greg, I feel, is saying is this is all the evidence that enables our minds to feel safe, to feel safe, mm. and also to, to stand mm. alongside and, and integrate with our heart's perception of the wonder of, of our entire universe and our place and meaning and purpose within it. And mm. again, as, as Gaians, you know, to wake up, to remember that and to, to take perhaps our consciously of evolutionary place as co-evolutionary partners at the bow wave of the universe's possibility and potential. Beautiful. Jean Houston said, to read this book is to be enhanced, empowered, and evolved into the receiving of a consciousness that evokes the higher human intelligence yearning to unfold in this time of change, trauma, and the coming of a world that works for all. I agree with Jean. Share from your perspective how the consciousness within the story of Gaia evokes the higher human intelligence. Well, again, thanks to Jean and, and yourself and all the folks who, who've also felt this. There's something in the way that the story of Gaia flowed through me that I hope I was able to sort of show up and get out of the way of it to enable that flow to re be resonant with that universal pulse, that universal impulse, that incredible intelligence and sentience and loving benevolence of a, a living universe. And so when people sort of, when, when you mentioned it yourself, when you read the book, the, the book's a read you, just it wrote me, it reads a reader. And, and that's how I think it does. It resonates within you and within readers who perhaps are able ready you know, I don't know how it's going to do that with, with every reader. It's, it's only available from the 1st of November uh, in the US and, and later in December elsewhere. So I don't know how it will resonate, but I, I do feel it has the potential to resonate at this profound place where our hearts remember, where our hearts and our souls are called to that flowering, that flourishing. And John O'Donoghue, um, the, the Irish mystic, once talked about our longing to belong, our yearning to belong. In an old paradigm of a materialist, separatist, meaningless, purposeless universe, there's nowhere we can belong. We don't, how could we belong? Well, the story of Gaia is, is revealing, I think, to us is that we do belong. Each and every one of us innately belongs to a living and loving and evolutionary universe and a living and loving planetary home. Mm. Again, that echoes what Greg was saying of moving from the head to the heart. Like, we know this, but we know this in our hearts. Yes. So it's really nice to connect the heart and the head in this way now. 
And then here, here comes Andrew Harvey. I love this one. So Andrew mentions that you fuse together profound mystical revelation and passion with grounded, wide-ranging, precise scientific knowledge. He opens a fascinating door here that more and more scientists are beginning to open themselves, the mystical. Mm-hmm. So Jude, as a scientist, why did you add the mystical into this? Because I don't see they need to be separate. Because I've just, I've just been invited by my dear friends at Humanities Team um, to offer a 16-module course called Our Conscious Revolution, Empowering Our Transformational Journey to Wholeness and Belonging. And in that, there's a part that I talk about the integral paths to awareness, the paths of the sage, the paths of the shaman, and the paths of the seer. And the path of the sage is the understanding, which is wonderful. The path of the seer, as I describe, the shaman, as I describe it, is the way of the experiential heart. But the way of the seer is the way of revelation, is the gnosis of that gnosis, that knowing that is more profound than the knowing of our intellect. And ancient wisdom and ancient traditions tended to emphasize one of those. So, for example, ancient Greece, ancient India, ancient China, to a reasonable degree, was the way of the sage. Indigenous teachings, the ways of the shaman. But the, the, mystic, the teachings of the seer, the mystic, are the revelatory insights that are the basis for really all of our religions um, that have become organized. But the fundamental teachings are of revelation, mystical revelation. So I talk about now of us integrating the three ways of the sage, the shaman and the seer into this whole being and therefore belonging to, to our universe and, and to Gaia. I think that's what Andrew means. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm glad you brought that those terms in because it's it's an important conversation that we're beginning to have with scientists as they're coming out of the closet. Yeah. And we are evolving science itself, right? From sure. from where it's been to a more truthful um structure of seeing the universe as it is. And so it is an important, and I know we're going to have more conversations in the future about that. So I want to continue with these endorsements, though, because there's there's a few more that I really want you to highlight. Lynn McTaggart wrote, a compelling new history of the earth as a single conscious entity whose component results from a grand Let me see if I can get this from a grand holistic design. The thing I love about what she says is the singularity, right? She's talking about a single conscious entity whose, whose components, this, the singularity is an important. Can you speak more about that? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, all the evidence at all scales is showing that our universe does indeed exist to evolve, but as a non-locally unified entity, which is what I think Lynn is referring to in those terms. But of course, what this also does is it naturalizes our universe is also multidimensional. And because it's non-locally unified, it naturalizes 
what's called non-local phenomena, such as telepathy, remote intention, remote viewing, the healing power of group consciousness, for example, and group intention, um, intuition as our basic superpower, the beauty and the way showing of synchronicities. So for Lynn and many, many, many others, you know, with Lynn's work, beginning with the field and, and then moving on to the intention experiment, you know, she's been working to show the, the, the practical realities of what group-focused intention can, can mean and achieve. What this does is show why it works and how it's natural. Um, and I think that's so lovely because, you know, when, when we, we sort of trust our intuition, as you and I both know, you know, it really is our North Star. It really is our, our way shower if we allow it to be. So for Lynn to say that was lovely and, and I'm very grateful to that. But that is that is what that really speaks to for me. Yeah, the grand holistic design. I love that. Lovely. And then Irvin Laszlo. He had a beautiful reflection too, didn't he? Yes. He wrote, I love this. The story of Gaia is an amazing book. It tells who we are for the future of humanity on the planet and for the future of the planet in the universe. Perhaps the greatest story ever told, now told with an authority of cutting edge science. I love this, Jude. Um, what a beautiful reflection from Irvin, and it, it, it can't get any better than that. But let's talk about the importance of the future. How does this book really wrap into the importance of the future? I think this is an important point here. I think it's fundamental, Julie. Um, you know, we're, unless we wake up to remember we're in several, we've, we've actually, you know, bought into an illusion of separation an illusion and a paradigm of materialism and separation where the universe is, and, and Irvin has said this many times too, is bereft of meaning and devoid of purpose, where evolution is, is driven by random mutations and somehow after a very, very long time, self-aware consciousness has somehow arisen from material brains. And that whole paradigm which I find, I find, I mean, Irvin once said, it disenchants the universe. What this now is, it, the evidence is turning this completely around and literally re-enchanting the universe and therefore re-enchanting everything in existence as having meaning and inherent evolutionary purpose. You know, it's revealing we literally do belong it's revealing we are inseparable. And therefore, that is a night and day perception, not just of now, but of our potential future. Because a worldview of separation has driven a world of suffering, where conflicts and injustices and inequalities are sort of natural outcomes. And this is a whole worldview of unity in diversity, where the natural outcomes are peace, and joyous diversity. It's not that uniformity. It is not uniformity. But those inequalities and fears that derive from separation, hopefully this can help heal and release the trauma that they've embedded within us. And we can link up and lift up, light up, level up, as we often say together, to move forward into an amazing future. 
as co-evolutionary partners with Gaia. Mm. Re-enchanting, I love that. And from the disenchanting to the re-enchanting is an important, I love that. Thank you for that. I have two more that I want to share that are important. And I could share something from every single one of those endorsements in the book. But these two bring up a couple important pieces too that I think are important. So Elizabeth Satoris said, it roots us solidly as Gaian creatures who are coming to understand our spiraling cosmic and earthly journey. With this self-knowledge, we cannot help but do better by Gaia and thus for ourselves. The idea that we are Gaian creatures, we're going to talk about Michael here in a minute again, um, and you mentioned him saying Gaians, but the idea that we are Gaian creatures is essential to this conscious evolutionary stage that we find ourselves in, that here we are, Gaian creatures, right? That it, it, it's hard to bring separation back into that conversation when we really understand that. Talk about the term Gaian and the phrase Gaian creatures. Well, of course, the, the word Gaia itself goes back to the ancient Greeks who, who termed um, the earth goddess Gaia. So for them, there was a reverence, there was a love, there was a caring because Gaia is our primordial mother. So there was that profound relationship already there. So when we, as Elizabeth says, you know, when we ground ourselves as Gaian creatures, we ground ourselves literally into that experience embodied sentience of our mother, of our primordial mother. And so that, you know, it's like a tree. When we're, it's like a tree with our roots then are nurtured. We're nurtured by the sustenance of Gaia's sentience. And then we can spread our branches out into the cosmos, you know, with that, with that nurturing, with that loving benevolence holding us and teaching us and, 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 and helping us learn more about who we really are. You know, to learn from Gaia, to hear and listen to her wisdom, you know, which is a four and a half billion year old wisdom embodied as a planetary home. And as we learn from that, we can learn more about ourselves. We can care more about ourselves as we care more about her and all her children. It's this wonderful to and fro, a beautiful relational dance that is truly evolutionary and emergent. Beautiful. So Joni Carley brings up an interesting point. She wrote, It reveals a holarchic complexity that is the scaffolding of our wholeness and laying groundwork for a unity-based decision-making and action-taking. I love this. First, the holarchic complexity as the scaffolding for wholeness. Brilliant. And then moving us into the unity-based decision-making and action-taking. Reflect on Joni's words. I love what Joni brings to this because Joni, who's a dear friend of both of us, has been working at the United Nations for many, many years and has found that a, a sort of a worldview of separation with the best intentions of people trying to cooperate from that perspective 
only can achieve limited success. So she has found that the sustainable development goals of the United Nations, these goals that are about education and, and environmental health and many, many other things, economic um, fairness, many others, peace, it's been very difficult to actually undertake some major implementation and transformation from that because they're also siloed. They're all in their own silo. And again, with good intention, the structures around them don't offer the scaffolding, don't offer the holarchy. And what holarchy is about, instead of hierarchy, a holarchy is the many-to-many. -many. It's the multi-level. It's how ecosystems work. It's how the whole of the Gaia sphere works as a natural holarchy of optimization and mutual benefit. And, and you know, what is needed is received and, and paid back. And there's a mutuality that hierarchies don't embody. So Joni's perspective and championing of the book, but also a unitive narrative that we too have been involved with drafting, that underpins and frames this action, then action-based way forward. There is based on this unitive awareness and this, this emergent understanding of our universe and our planetary home and us, because ultimately this is about love in action and it's about love in transformational action. Yeah. I, I love that it, it takes us from this cosmic perspective right down to our next best steps. And I'm going to close the show today by asking you for some of those next best, best steps. But I wrote in the book, I just want to drop this helpful phrase. I wrote that the book will help wake the innate genius within us mm -hmm. as the, and I quoted you, microcosmic co-creators that we are. I use the term there, and I think it's so very helpful. So speak a little bit about humanity as the microcosmic co-creators that we are. Thank you, Julie. And I go back to sort of the earlier metaphor of, of the 37 trillion cells that comprise each of our bodies. And that 37 trillion cells for, are in coherent, dynamic, interdependent, interrelational, evolutionary, ever, ever relational, ever dynamic community. And they're not just human cells. They're bacteria, they're fungi, they're viruses. You know, we have this incredible backstory that goes back to the beginning of our universe through to now. But the level of coherence, every cell essentially knows it's a cell. Every cell knows that it is differentiated and yet part of an overall community. And when the informational pathways and, 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 and processes, for whatever reason, are disjointed or break down, cells then forget that they are part of a community. And that is actually what cancer is about that cancerous cells have lost their informational relationships with the rest mm. of their community and they revert to a memory of being a single cell. And when they revert to that memory of being a single cell, instead of cooperation, it's competition. So with us then as cells of our universal body, 
when we are able to cooperate as unity and diversity, as a human and Gaian family, then we can consciously evolve. But we've been living in many ways as if we were single-celled, when we're not. We're part of a vast multicellular community of the universe soul itself. And this is what I feel we are now being invited and called to literally remember within ourselves, with each other and beyond. And just going back to your cosmic, we talk about, you know, at a whole world view, we talk about thinking cosmic, feeling global and acting local because every cell in our body acts locally with every, you know, with the cells next to it and beyond but then it feels part of a whole body. And of course, ultimately, its sentience inevitably is part of the cosmic mm. body. Thank you for bringing in the cancer cell and that, that acting as separation and forgetting the cooperation piece. That's really helpful, I think, for, for all of our listeners to, to get an idea of what we're talking about here. Okay, it's time for the segment I'm calling the interview. We're going to move from the interview to the interview, Jude, where we move deeper inside and get a little more personal. So we move into the inner realms to find that place of unity, where we speak from the direct experience of our interconnectedness and belonging that we've been talking about here. So giving voice to the intelligence from which we are inspired to speak. I invite you, Jude, from this place of absolute connection and unity. <sighs> I'm wondering if you could first share with our listeners what the interview means to you personally in practice and application. What is your experience of the interview? For me, it's, it's a lived experience, actually. It's a lived experience of inseparability. When I, when I, I, I live my life, I, every morning, okay, every morning I say hello to the sun as it rises <laughs> and to Luna and to Gaia. And I go around and I have this, I, I have... This wonderful, you know, time first thing in the morning, where I, where I, I just say hello to everybody, whether it's our beloved tree outside my door as I'm speaking, or um, you know, my photocopier <laughs> or my computer or my husband <laughs> or whatever, because I, I, I literally experience the whole world as my family, and multidimensionally as my family. So it, it's awakening perhaps to a much larger sense of, of family than most of us as yet, you know, relate and experience to. But having had the privilege of spending some wonderful time with indigenous communities and seeing how they begin their day with that sense of, of renewing and appreciating the relationship with all our relations which are multidimensional, which are not just the human relations by any means, but our standing relations, the trees, 
those that fly, those that crawl, those that swim, our cosmic relations, that is, for me, the inner to the outer. And yet the inner and outer now are so permeable that I, I, I find it easier not to really, you know, I don't tend to use the inner and outer in that languaging. There's such a level of permeability that I feel. Mm. So from the interview, inner view, Jude, you've attuned to many aspects of universal consciousness in the book, and you share those. I'm wondering if you could share perhaps a tip, tool, practice, or resource, something you could share with our listeners, inviting them into their own experience of this interview and universal consciousness. Perhaps one way that I certainly would like to suggest is, is to remember that the hydrogen in our bodies, in the water of our bodies and Gaia's waters, is almost as old as the universe itself. And the oxygen that was created in stars then came together as water in interstellar dust clouds before Gaia and our entire planetary system was born. So we're not just stardust. We have this even more profound lineage that goes back right to the beginning of our universe. So I'd invite people, perhaps, to have a relationship with water that may be different from what they have had before. So when drinking a glass of water, an analysis was done a few years ago showing that half of the water in Gaia's waters, our bodies, is older than our planetary system. So to have that profoundly ancient and yet present relationship with water, whether it's a shower, whether it's being in the rain, whether it's drinking a glass of water, whether it's swimming in a river or a sea, whatever it is, that is so elemental and so profound. And in my experience, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a great thing in 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 uh, the British Isles at the moment called wild swimming. You know, people are going out into the sea at all weathers, and they're putting, you know, they're 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 swimming in rivers, and there's this sense of a whole new relationship with the waters of Gaia coming forward. Mm-hmm. So that's one way, but it's a very profound way in my experience of deepening that relationship. I love that. And presencing the water is, you know, I think people can really understand that because we are made up mostly of water. That element is just essential. So thank you. That's beautiful. And I, and I really want to bring in Michael Linfield here before we switch here, because I've been using with clients lately, I've been teaching this, this unitive narrative that we speak of by just saying, I am in Gaia, Gaia is in me. I am in life, life is in me. And Michael mentioned that the book invites us to become Gaians, which you explained. And he said, to carry the whole of planetary life within us, as we in turn are carried and held within the wholeness of Gaia's embrace. I'm wondering just to wrap this inner vision, this interview part that we're talking about, if you could just reflect on that as we're carried and held within the wholeness of Gaia's embrace. 
Michael is so beautifully poetic and he does embody what it means to be a Gaian beautifully, as we as we both know. And I'm just wondering, going back to this sense of, of water, one of the things that I found is when I'm floating in a pool of water or a pond of water or the sea or whatever, there's something about that that is so simple and yet you, f- you feel held because you have, you are, you know, we're, we're buoyant. So we lie there and we can spread our arms out and we can just know that that ocean, that sea, that river is just carrying us. There's a wonderful song and I can never remember the words to songs, but this one is, the river she is flowing, flowing and growing, the river she is flowing down to the sea. Mother Gaia, carry me. Your child, I will always be. Mother Gaia, carry me down to the sea. And whenever I'm near water, I I find myself singing that song. Even if I'm not in the water, I feel part of the water and really sense that holding and that loving and that nurturing that our planetary mother offers us every moment of every day of our lives. I love that. That's a beautiful example. When I'm floating in water, I, we spend a lot of time at the lake. And I like to, and, and I have this amazing bathtub too in my in my <laughs> house. I love this bathtub. But I, I play with my breath and that complete relaxation of the floating because literally with the breath, we become the wave, right? As we inhale in, we float and become more buoyful and we, we float upward. And then as we exhale, we kind of move, we become more dense and, and our body moves down. And it's a really beautiful way of, like Michael says, feeling that embrace. Yeah. So thank you. That was, that was beautiful. I have one more ask of you to leave our listeners with something important here. But first, I want to make sure our guests, our listeners know how to find you. So could you share your email address? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you, whole world view, and discuss, you know, these kinds of topics in other kinds of situations looking for the book? Where can they find you? They can find me and our whole Whole World View community at Whole World Hyphen View. So www.wholeworld-view.org and can sign up to our um, free newsletter. And there's lots of, of news about what I'm doing and where I'm doing it and how I'm doing it. So they can, they can link into that. And they can email me, although I apologize in advance if I'm tardy on responses because I'm, I am so busy. But they can do that at judecurravan at gmail.com. But the best way to really be part of the emergence of, of, of the whole worldview community and linking up together is by going onto the website and signing up for our newsletter. Excellent. Thank you, Jude. So it is important to vision a new world into being and to create a positive future. So by taking one small personal action step at a time, just like Joni Carly invited us into having it be unitive in form from that perspective, what is one simple action our listeners can take today to serve Gaia for the good of the whole and help substantiate this whole worldview? What is one simple action you would leave with our listeners, Jude? One simple action 
which is simple, but I'm not saying it's always easy, is to take the literal, not the metaphorical truth and guidance of what we often call the golden rule. In other words, treat others and our planetary home as you would wish to be treated. And to do that in thought and, and, and emotion and word and, and action. And don't beat yourself up if you can't do it all the time. But take some little steps, maybe an act of kindness to a stranger. Maybe to reach out to someone who you don't feel very comfortable with, but, you know, would welcome you. If it was you, you would welcome to be reached out to. So literally, that is as simple as it can be and no simpler, and it's not always easy, but it is vital if we are going to come together, remember we're inseparable, and become and live as Gaians. Beautiful, Jude. This was really a delight. I am so happy to have had this conversation with you today and having it be the first in a series of episodes. I'm so excited to bring our guests back for the rest. So thank you for joining me today. And thank you, Julie. I'm so looking for, it's been wonderful today. It's always wonderful being with you. And I'm so looking forward to us inviting our guests as we go forward for some amazing, well, I think it's going to be some amazing explorations and some deep, deep wisdom and some very loving support and help and guidance. Beautiful. So I want to leave you listeners with the words of Jude. Here we are on page 264. We are the youngest of Gaia's organic children. We embody her legacy and that of the universal's evolutionary arc. And we stand together with them at the bow wave of their and our next emergent possibility. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, Please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.